Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mercy Talk podcast from Mercy Multiplied, where we are passionate about empowering you with biblical principles for growing in mental, emotional, and spiritual health and equipping you to share those principles with others. I'm Melanie Wise, and joining me on this episode is the amazing Dr. Brooke Keels. Uh, We are in the midst of a series here on Mercy Talk talking about our brains and how God designed our brains to function, the role that our brains play in our own personal growth and healing, but also how our growth and healing impacts our brains. And friends, it's so important for all of us to grow an understanding of how the brain works because it will help us better understand ourselves and it will definitely help us better understand everyone that we know, those that we love. So today we are gonna be talking about how memory works, uh, how we integrate memory and how trauma affects our brains. I mean, at a very elementary level, we're gonna be jumping into these topics today because there's so much that could be covered Uh, in these areas. This was all really, really fascinating to learn for me personally, so I really think you're gonna benefit from this episode. So let's dive in. Well, hello, Brooke. Hey, Melanie. I'm seriously like already kind of overwhelmed thinking about where where all we're gonna go. Where I mean, you know, we got our outline, we got our notes, Yeah. but sometimes you never know where these conversations are gonna lead us. And there's so much that I know could be said about this topic. I know for me personally, you hear so much like about just kind of the concept of how trauma affects the brain. But if someone had ever actually asked me like, what what does that mean? Like what's actually going on? I'm like, I don't know. Right. It just does. Like something happens inside of you. It's not great. Uh, You should figure it out, (laughs) you know, work on it or whatever. But I've had no real actual information. Uh, So I know that you're going to probably have some really, really great insights uh, for us just based on the work that you do day in and day out. Yeah, well, I hope so. If not, there's literally no point in me being here. So There's no point in you being here or really (laughs) doing what you do. Yeah, actually, (laughs) shouldn't be doing any of it. I mean, okay. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. As we go into it, as we've done in every single episode thus far, but on the chance that this is the first time someone is listening to Mercy Talk, I always feel like I should clarify specifically in this series that neither Brooke or myself are claiming to be uh, neuroscientists. We are not experts in the brain. We've learned some things. Brooke's learned more things than me. A lot of what we're going to be sharing with you all today are things that we have learned from people who are experts in this field, especially our friend or someone that we like to call a friend because we would like that to be the case, Dr. Dan Siegel. And in this episode, we're going to be diving into a few of the things that he wrote about in his book, The Whole Brain Child. Uh, But we will also be sharing today from another favorite resource of mine personally that we will get into later. But with that being said, Brooke, Dr. Siegel shares a couple of myths in the book, The Whole Brain Child, Mm -hmm. about the concept of memory that, you know, most people believe. And so do you want to kick us off today by discussing the first myth that he mentions in his book? Yeah, of course. You know, I do love the myths. <laughs> oh, yes. You love debunking <laughs> I do. the myths. That's your specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so, and he already did it, but I do get to at least communicate <laughs> what he communicated. So myth number one, and, and I think it's probably, whether you realize it or not, you potentially think of your memory this way, but the first myth is that, like, memory is a filing cabinet, basically, and when you think mm-hmm. back to a certain memory, you just, like, 
open up that drawer and you pull out the memory and it's just all right there, just mm-hmm. like it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. like exactly. it happened. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that memory is all about associations. So the brain processes something in the present moment. And that means by processing, I mean processes everything, which you're seeing, hearing, feeling, where you're at, all the stimuli in that moment, which could be millions, right? So many things. It processes that and then it links that experience with similar experiences in the past, right? If you think, I mean, how the brain works just from a cognitive perspective and learning, it's all about linking, Right. That's why we start with like building blocks of math further in for some of us. Some of us Uh don't, but we're really great at calculators. And so, (laughs) you know, so just that's how, you know, it makes sense for learning. It's the same way with memory. Right. So our past experiences strongly emphasize that word strongly Mm -hmm. influence Mm -hmm. how we understand what we see or feel in that moment. Mm-hmm. And how what we see, feel, remember, experience from that memory, right? So the influence happens because associations in the brain, like I mentioned, are where all the different neurons, all the brain cells become linked together. Okay, so association is the sh- so strong and so important and frankly how you learn how and how you experience the world. And so kind mm-hmm. of connecting that with memory and I think, yes, there is a myth that well, I was there, I remember that that somehow makes it a fact, and mm-hmm. that is not always true. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just to recap, too, what he talks about is, like, anytime you walk through an experience, your neurons are activating, they're firing up, they're linking with others, they're creating associations. When they're all wiring together, we remember things together. So the last time, you know, so if you look at, like, PTSD, you know, and we, we won't dive into that too much, but why somebody who was at war and now they're back home and there's nothing happening but a loud noise makes your body physiologically, you know, it'll bring you back to those moments. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the neurons fire, they associate, and they connect it all together, okay? Basically, your memory is the way that an event from the past will influence your present experience. Which is great because it's not complicated at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So simple and easy, black mm-hmm. and white. Yeah, oh, really, man. really messes up a lot of arguments. Uh, yeah, my favorite. Oh, right? What actually happened? Uh, no, I was there. Uh-huh. I was I there. Was there. And what I, I saw. saw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah oh, no, that's man. my favorite line. Like, no, that's really cool. But what actually happened <laughs> was X, Y, and Z. Most is just knowing how many times I have basically said some version of that myself. But, you know, it's funny, like everything that we've talked about in the series, including even what you just shared, it's so funny for me bringing it into the context of my current life, raising toddlers. And again, you know, his book, Whole Brain Child, is very much kind of geared towards parents and the development of their their kids' brains. But I mean, I see this all the time from such a simple level as even my boys and I, we've started doing memory verses in the morning. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to give you a little graham cracker cookie every time you say your memory verse, right? So now you better believe if we're at the table, if we're somewhere else, and I'm like, hey, what's your memory verse? They're like, and cookie. I mean, it's just like, it's the, it's immediately 
this like memory, they're wired together. So memory verse and cookies go together in their brains. And I know it's a silly example, but like I see this play out with them. They've experienced one thing that was linked with something else that happened at the same moment. And now they're like always associated together. It's just very interesting. As you mentioned, another myth that he unpacks, you kind of already alluded to this, is that memory is like a photocopy machine. So when you call up memories, you are seeing accurate, exact reproductions of what actually took place. And as we have already joked about, this is this is not the case. Um, because when you retrieve a memory, you alter it. I mean, like it or not, y'all, our memories are distorted. They're not always completely accurate. Sometimes they're slightly distorted, distorted. Sometimes they are massively distorted, even though you believe that you are being accurate. Like what your recollection of, of what happened to you is exactly what happened, right? But it's so important for us to know that, you know, your state of mind when you like originally encoded that memory and the state of mind that you're in when you're recalling that memory, all of that is going to influence and change the memory itself. Um, and so he says in the book, which I, I thought this was such an interesting way to put it, he said, so the story you actually tell is less history and more historical fiction. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so painful. Please don't tell my husband this. No, no, no. We're not going to actually live by this. <laughs> we just need everybody to know. <laughs> sure, my recollections are always pretty on point. Yeah. Those are two, I think, just kind of foundational understandings of our conversation today, that memories are all about associations and our memories are altered at some level uh, in our brains. So another thing that I think is just really interesting and important for people to understand when we're talking about memory is that there are explicit memories and there are implicit memories. So Brooke, can you kind of break that down for us, the difference between the two? Yes, and I will do this. Very quickly, because who wants to hear this? You can read the book. Explicit memory is your ability to recall a specific moment. Okay, so when you're, again, as we have probably all said, I explicitly remember. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> you doing or saying. Uh-huh, yeah. If I use that word, somebody is in trouble. Um, <laughs> implicit memory is the memory that you don't even realize you're remembering right so mm. riding a bike they begin forming before you're even born um, and actually like during the first 18 months of life you really only have implicit memory you know it's crazy yeah. kind of yeah just learning by doing and your body's like okay this is how we function and exist uh -huh. in the world right 18 months yeah time. yeah it is implicit memory encodes our perceptions our emotions our bodily sensations in uh, our behaviors, implicit memories also cause us to form expectations about how the world works based on our previ previous experiences. So you could probably think if we're talking about implicit memories, all you have until 18 months, you know, you've got some kids that are, you know, 10, 11, 12 months that maybe they're walking through the house and they've experienced like they close their hand in the door or mm -hmm. they, you know, that's not an explicit. It's like, wait, 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 doors, this, you know, like we're able to associate. Yeah. How to, and I'm just using that as obviously a mm -hmm. silly example, but mm -hmm. we learn how to exist in the world through implicit memory. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And since again, 
we <laughs> love our cheesy phrases, uh, even though whatever Dan Siegel says I support, as I said previously, uh, <laughs> since the neurons that fire together wire together, <laughs> we, you know, we create these mental models based on what's happened in the past. And so that mm-hmm. creates something called priming, where the brain actually gets ready to respond in a certain way. When you're Mm -hmm. entering into a room or an experience, you know, your brain's like, okay, we're here and we're doing this now. I mean, your brain's, again, quite efficient and quite incredible, even though some of us may not feel that way all of the time. Yeah. So anything, it's always, it's always learning, noticing, right? Even when we don't realize it. When you're not consciously thinking of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do actually kind of want to land on this topic for a bit because I feel like- talk about Adam Young. Oh, you know we. Are. I knew it when you said it earlier. I was like, she's gonna. Bring I know it. what her favorite or the favorite mm-hmm. resource is. Yes, I do. Yeah, and so far, I totally support this. I'm so glad. I haven't heard anything he said. That other I lady asked. I haven't done. asked your opinion. You haven't. But um, I've assumed that no news is good news on how you feel about. Yeah, because you know, so. once they cross the line, then I'm like, <laughs> you're Melanie, done. We're done. <laughs> oh, come on, Adam. People's going no, strong he's, here, uh, he's great. He really is. Yeah. So he, I want to talk a little bit about, again, it's just, inc- I mean, there's just so much I know that you could dive into, but I think it's so good for people to have some kind of elementary understanding of how trauma affects our brains. As we've already stated, you know, if you've been around Mercy Talk for even a minute, I talk about him all the time. Uh, I referred to um, this guy named Adam Young, who uh, has a podcast uh, called The Place We Find Ourselves and just has some fantastic content on there. So I would just wholeheartedly recommend his him as a resource. But a few months ago, he posted an episode titled Trauma Fragmentation and the Soothing Certainty of Dogmatism, which is a crazy title and very intriguing. And I won't go into all of kind of like everything that he breaks down, but I thought his explanation of what trauma does to the brain was so clear uh, that to be honest, I was like, I'm not even going to try to like recap this. Like I kind of want to try to just share it the way he, uh, he shared it. But I would say like, guys, go listen to this, this episode. He posted, I wrote it down so that I, you know, could tell you guys where to find it. It's his podcast again is called The Place We Find Ourselves. And he posted this specific episode on December 26th of 2022. So you can go back, listen. It's it's so fascinating. And so I, you know, I thought about like actually just sharing the clip from his podcast, but that felt like it required, I don't know, some level of permission <laughs> that I didn't have. So I'll just kind of provide a, a recap here as best I can. So he talks about how trauma causes fragmentation in the brain. So when you experience something, your brain records memory in many areas, as you kind of already mentioned, Brooke. But the five areas that he focused on was your thoughts about the experience, your feelings about the experience, the physical sensations you had during the experience, the bodily inclinations you felt in the midst of the experience, and then visual images of what you saw during the experience with your eyes. Uh, and again, you know, he's like, there, there are more areas uh, of, of memory than just those five, but those are the five he focused on to kind of make this point. Thoughts, feelings, physical sensations, 
bodily inclinations, so like the instinct to move maybe in a specific way, and visual images. So here's the example that he uses to describe what happens. Like this is this is how this can play out. Uh, he says, you know, you're a seven seven year old and you're playing at a park, and a dog rushes at you and bites you. And here's what happens in your brain as the dog is getting close to you. You see an image of the dog's angry face, and that image is stored in one part of your brain. At the same time, you have the thought, a scary dog is running at me. And that thought gets stored in a different part of your brain. At the same time, you feel the emotion of fear as the dog is charging at you, and that emotion gets stored in a different part of your brain. At the same time, you feel a tightening in your chest and an increase in your heart rate. So your memory of those physical sensations gets stored in a different part of your brain. And at the same time, your body has an inclination to turn away from the dog and run. And that bodily memory is stored in yet another part of your brain. So you're experiencing all these layers of memory and they're getting recorded in your brain at the same time, but in different locations of your brain, which is not exactly the most helpful thing. Because he, but he talks about how, like, in a non-threatening experience, those different kinds of memory would connect with one another, which is what we've been talking about through this whole series: integration. They're connecting with one another. So, in a non-threatening experience, your thoughts, emotions, bodily sensations. Those neurons in your brain that are recording those memories would be well connected. But in a threatening experience, like a scary dog charging after you, those five kinds of memory don't adequately connect. And that is what he called, or what is called, I guess, fragmentation. So in a traumatic situation or event, your emotions about the event don't get connected with your thoughts about the event, which don't get connected with the physical sensations of the event, so on and so on. So in this episode, Adam Young shared a quote from uh, trauma expert Bessel van der Kolk, uh, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And in it, he says... Uh, this is what he says in his book. He says, when we experience something traumatic, the overwhelming experience becomes fragmented so that the emotions, sounds, images, thoughts, and physical sensations related to the trauma take on a life of their own. And as we've talked about all through this entire series, a disconnected, fragmented brain is an unhealthy brain, and a connected, integrated brain is a healthy brain. Uh, now, the example that I just shared um, and that he shared on this episode is, is an example of a one-time traumatic experience. So you can only imagine what happens when the bad event is not like just a one-time isolated, isolated thing, but is something that happens over and over. Like in the case of, you know, ongoing abuse, like imagine what happens in someone's brain when there is fragmented memory after fragmented memory after fragmented memory. So Brooke, with all that being said, which please add any clarity or anything that you want to add to that, but I would love for you to pass it to you now just to explain, like, what does that mean for us in the context of our conversation today? 
gosh, I, you know, mm, I know this isn't what you want me to say to you. I, (laughs) I mean, it is such a complicated, it's such a complicated thing. But if you can imagine just what we've been talking about, right? Everything, all of the stimuli we take in from all of our senses at all times and every moment. And then, and then when you're talking about, yes, like traumatic experiences that happen over and over and over and, you know, we, we hear like the sensationalized piece of, you know, um, you know, like, oh, the repressed memories and like all of those things. And, and I, I won't get into all of that, but our brain does an incredible job of protecting us as much as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. But you do become, you know, things get fragmented and split. There's a whole lot of counseling theories that have come out of this. Some good, some not so good. Um, I do think if someone is listening to this and is like, I really need to understand that more, I would absolutely recommend reading the body keeps the score. It's an incredibly just wildly accepted, widely accepted, wildly and widely. I mean, widely accepted. It is. It is. When it came out, everybody was like, Whoa, this is great. And it is. It's such a great book. And it's really important to understand. It's being aware too that, that, and I, I, that when you are having traumatic, you know, memories or responses or you're, you know, experiencing life in a way that you're like, this is not how I want to experience it. This doesn't feel healthy to me. This isn't, you know, and why I can feel so disconnected. And I hope more than anything, you know, I've, I've worked with so many people that have made choices and decisions out of their trauma and have they're like, I literally feel like I cannot stop. I cannot make a different choice. I feel, you know, um, enslaved to this thing. And so while we know there's obviously, and you know, being enslaved from a spiritual standpoint to think that the enemy doesn't use this from a physiological and neurological standpoint too. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. we do right. Body, soul, spirit. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. it is important to address all of the things. So, I know I'm not, I mean, and I hate to say it, there's probably so many examples just running through my head that you would have to give so much, so much nuance and explanation to. Um, so I don't, I don't want to, you know, drill it down to, to that level or, or, um, cause everybody's experience is so different, but I think more than anything, just stepping into this knowing, like understanding our experiences, understanding others experiences and the grace that we can hopefully give them through this. Um, and then what I love about whole brain child is it's educating you on how to help someone process child or adult or otherwise. So are you mad at me for not having really great specific examples? No, I mean, (laughs) I was, I was, yeah, just kind of for someone who like is just hearing this for the first time and it's like, okay, so fragmented memory, you know, like, so what, you know, what, what's the, uh, I guess, effects of that? Like, what does that actually mean for someone? Um, and how does that kind of play out for them? Gosh, yeah. And it it means so many, it, it plays out in a million different ways. And I think probably further, further down the road, it is a lack of understanding of how and why they, you know, how and why someone thinks or feels or acts the way they do. Um, typically, like there's a lack of understanding around that and often a lack of, feeling of being in control you know it's it's kind of I use this as as an example with someone this last week and they it was basically I was like it's it's like something just 
when they are triggered, and I hate to use that word because it's just become such <laughs> dramatic, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. It was, mm-hmm. we had it first, okay? Mm-hmm. On, the, on the clinical side, right? When someone is triggered, they almost become primal in those moments. It's not, we're not, our, our brain, you know, that upstairs brain is shutting down and there's just reaction and not thinking. And so it's funny, it's, I've, I've worked with people, um, you know, like the spouse or the loved ones. And they're like, it's like, it's two different people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, because the yeah. integrated self wouldn't respond this way. Right. The fragmented self, that's kind of another person that might be, you know, you're saying like a five, a six, a seven, eight, nine, 10, 14 year old, you know, whatever that's responding to a moment and it feels out of character and out of alignment. Mm-hmm. So I hope yeah. that helps. Yeah. That makes sense. Hey everyone. Just taking a quick break to tell you about the organization bringing you this podcast, Mercy Multiplied. Mercy exists to provide opportunities for all people to experience God's unconditional love, forgiveness, and life-transforming power. Our residential program is for women ages 13 to 32, and our outpatient services are for women ages 13 and older. Both programs are voluntary, biblically-based, and completely free of charge. Our goal is to help women in our programs permanently stop destructive cycles and discover purposes for their lives. Our outreach services offer multiple resources online and on-site designed to equip women and men of all ages to live free and stay free in Jesus Christ. If you or someone you know would like to learn more or apply to one of our programs, you can start by heading to our website at mercymultiplied.com. Now, back to the show. The other things that he talks about are, you know, and this is in Vander Kolk's work too, that when you have high levels of fragmented memories due to trauma, right, your brain and your body feel chaotic and unstable, right? So just exactly what I'm communicating, what I was communicating. And so, you know, things don't feel solid. Um, Most of the time, again, somebody who has just learned to exist in trauma or out of trauma, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it's always, and I feel like it's important to say, like, there are so many people out there that were abused their whole lives and they had no idea it was abuse until they got a little bit older and maybe like went to a friend's house and realized, oh, your parents don't do that to you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so to, you know, you don't, you may not feel like it's great, but you just have no knowledge of like, this is not how we're supposed to be or not what health is. When you have lived in that for so long, you operate from that place and it makes no sense, you know, why you would act any differently. Right. And then when we get into, to really high level, I've had a young woman, that was a couple of weeks ago that saw someone out of the corner of her eye that looked like someone that had attacked her the year before um, and just completely fell apart in the middle of a store, just absolutely out of control. And it was one of those where you're just like, thank God nobody like recorded that because Mm. it would have just been, it was just a complete, and she said, just, she said, I felt like I was watching myself, you know, and and this, the, the person that she thought she saw doesn't, I mean, he, is gone away. Like there's, it wasn't around and there was just no, and she's like, I couldn't even rationalize it in that moment. Right. I couldn't even think through that. There's no way he's here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And it it was just like this thing came over her. Right. And that, that, that part of our 
almost like from the implicit standpoint, right? Just like you know how to ride a bike. It's almost like your your brain and yep. body just shut down and went into that space. And it was really scary for her. Yeah. So it's just super disproportionate yeah. to what actually was happening, even just in the reality of it all. And again, going back, reminding of the implicit memory, that's why these, these uh, reactions can be so strong to situations that you're you're not even aware of or you're aware but it's almost like there's a block for for Mm -hmm. you to do something about it you know and why people can get so upset out of nowhere Mm -hmm. one of the things I thought that was so interesting that he talked about on that specific episode was how you know because of the fact that all of those different things are coming in in different act like different points in your brain or different places in your brain all those different sensations and stuff it means that when they're not integrated there are like multiple access points, you know, uh, for like that trauma to kind of be reactivated. So like a big part of the integration is to kind of reduce that, the, the <laughs> number of access points yeah. um, that that yes. can be, as you said, um, triggered. I mean, for lack of a better word. And I just thought that was so interesting to consider, okay, now that makes so much more sense to me. You know, how like maybe what I've when I've witnessed that or I've seen that or even seen that in my own life, you know, where it's like there are so many ways for this to get in and reactivate or, re, you know, or trigger me or whatever. And so yep. um, I just thought it was such a good explanation on the heels of him talking about how trauma gets kind of, I guess, encoded into the brain. So if any of you guys are actually wondering, because I know I shared the title of that episode uh Earlier, how in the world Adam Young tied all of this uh, into the concept of dogmatism was absolutely fascinating because yeah. he goes into how when your brain is fragmented and you feel chaotic inside, you are going to feel a very, very, very strong pull to reduce that chaos with certainty. So you'll be very attracted to certainty Um and, and that's when he goes into this whole thing about dogmatism, which if you're wondering, if you don't know what that is, I actually had to look it up. But it's the expression of like an opinion or belief as if it were a fact. So it's not like this is my opinion. Like, no, this is fact. So it's just so interesting how you're going to be, you're going to tend toward dogmatism and a need for certainty in every area if you have a fragmented brain. It's so fascinating. I won't go in it past that. It's just fascinating. So go listen to the episode. Again, let's talk a little bit more about kind of why any of this would matter to us in our day-to-day life. It matters because in the end, God has designed our brains in such a way. And that's, again, this is the whole point of this entire series is God made our brains in such an unbelievable, incredible way. And when it comes to this topic that we're covering today, he actually designed our brains in such a way that harmful events do not have to traumatize our brains. That's kind of like the whole point of the conversation today. So let's talk about that because if you receive sufficient care in you know the fairly immediate wake of a potentially of a potentially traumatizing event your brain is going to be able to connect or integrate all those different recordings of the memory so the neurons those brain cells recording your thoughts are going to become connected to the neurons recording the emotions which will become connected to the neurons recording the physical sensations those things are all going to get 
sufficiently connected. And the story of what just happened to you actually becomes coherent and your brain becomes integrated. In the example from earlier, the jo- the the dog charges at you and, you know, bites you. If your mom runs over to you from the other side of the park, gets the dog away from you and then comforts you in your fear, helps you talk through the story of what happened, then her responsiveness and her care in the aftermath of the dog biting actually allows your brain to connect all of those disconnected pieces of your memory. So the point is this, good care actually allows those fragmented recordings to connect with one another and integrate. So the painful events, as I already said, of our life, like they don't have to lead to brain fragmentation. It's when those events are not processed that brain fragmentation happens. You know, so it's when in the example of that story, mom doesn't come over and offer care and comfort and help you make sense of the story. You know, it's when you feel abandoned in the event that the trauma actually takes root and has that long lasting impact. So I would love to hear from you, Brooke, just kind of how you've seen this play out in your work. Yeah. I mean, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about it, but this is Mm -hmm. the exact reason and why I say this. It is often not the trauma itself or the event of the trauma, even if that's abuse, right? It's, it's often not that that causes the most traumatic results or, you know, influences us at the deepest level. It is how the people who are supposed to care for us or care about us handle mm-hmm. the trauma that happened, right? Mm-hmm. So just like you're saying, you know, if an abuse event happens, right, and, and a family come, you know, a mom, a dad, whomever, guardian comes in and is like you know, is there for you, supports you, helps you process it, you know, that is often, those are going to be the healthiest people. This happened. I hate that it happened. It was a long process and we had to, you know, fight for it. Um, but the people that I work with that are the most traumatized, right. Mm -hmm. Are the ones when their families did not handle that well. Right. They said, Oh, let's either pretend it didn't happen or let's keep it a secret or right. It's, it's the beliefs that come afterwards Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, there are moments right in the moment, something may happen and that might be scary or, or whatever it is. And you may kind of make some agreements about things, but it's also, it's typically what everyone around us, their response to it that Mm -hmm. really entrenches unhealthy Mm -hmm. beliefs and, and ways of living. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly. And so, which is so interesting. Cause can I just say that I've heard you say that yeah. for years, you yeah. said it at like all of our empower workshops yeah. and for years, you know, I'm like, well, I'm sure she's right. Like I believed you, but it didn't like make sense to me. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, I'm going to trust that she knows what she's talking about, <laughs> but like, it just didn't make sense to me, like logically. And now learning about all of this over the last few weeks, even just reading and learning more, I'm like, oh my goodness, it makes total yeah. It's total sense like, now. This is why. Why this Brooke says why. that all the time. I know. I know <laughs> stuff. Is a good 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it is, yeah, because, of course, to explain this, it impacted, things would get weird, but this is the exact, I mean, this is how. Yeah, we can't go into it. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are made, I mean, we cannot keep bad things from happening, but we are made to, to heal within a healthy community, right? I mean, if we go yep. back to even yep. our, you know, our friend, you know, our podcast about relationships and, um, and so of course, when, when you're taken care of, but the, the grieving that I see happen is primarily focused on how everyone around somebody responded more than it is like the event itself happened. And of course, if we're talking about repeated traumas, right, you know, then it's the grieving of either how no one knew or people knew and they didn't do anything about it. Right. It's, it's, um, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, often less about the events themselves, which they're awful and need to be processed. I'm not saying that, but the loneliness and the isolation and the sorrow comes when people are not there for you in a way that they need to be or should be. Right. And so, I mean, isn't that, I'm so sorry. I just keep like interrupting you, but I'm just like, it just, I I'm hearing you saying that. And I'm just like, like the Lord is so good to, you know, he knew like there's going to be horrible things that happen. Like this is part of the experience, this side of, of heaven. And there's going to be painful things that happen and there's going to be traumatizing and there is abuse. like, but I'm going to create, like I've created these brains in a way that if they, if they will receive the love and care that I have implored my children to give to one another, you know, I'm like, this is the reason why Jesus says to love each other this way and to respond to each other this way and to have community and to be in close relationship. Like, this is the reason why he, he tells us because he, he know, I mean, for so many reasons, not just this one, but I'm like, he knows that if we will do that for one another and we will offer the love and care, the painful things that we experience that we can't always control can still lead us to a place of healing if we will do the very things he's asked us to do. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm complicating that a little bit, but I'm just like, this just, it makes sense to me. And it's such a beautiful grace of God that he would create our brains in such a way that even in the wake of horrible things that he would never desire for our lives, we would still right. be able to have healing and hold us. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, no. I, I mean, thank you. Yes, that's that's the key. Like, none of it is beyond repair right or beyond hope and here's the thing if we don't offer a place for others and definitely ourselves first a place to express our feelings and recall what happened after an overwhelming event our implicit only memories will remain disintegrated not disintegrated disintegrated And that leaves us, right, with no way to make sense of the experience. But when we help, and I'm going to say this, ourselves first and others, integrate our past into our present, we can then make sense of what's going on inside of us. We can gain control over we think how we think and behave. And more than anything, we can really allow the Lord into that process and let him, you know, heal the things that we probably felt like, well, I'll just, it'll always be this way. And I'll just speak for me. Like I work and have for almost 15 years in a job that has had a lot of traumatic things happen. Either I've been a part of them or, you know, secondarily through hearing, you know, people's stories. I cannot just pretend these events are not traumatic. 
as much as I want to, and I'm the first one to be like, it's fine, I'm fine, everybody's fine, let's just move on. Cannot do it because <laughs> the body keeps the score. It does not go away. Your your brain's like, oh no, we're just going to hang on to it <laughs> until you're ready because that is what, but, but that is what is incredible about it. It's hanging on to it because that's how we were made. You're supposed to process. We're supposed to learn. We're supposed to gain wisdom. We're supposed to connect in those moments. It should drive us towards connection, not isolation. And, you know, when these hard things happen and it drives us toward isolation, that is, without saying this super dramatically, that is partnering with unhealth. What it hopefully will do will push us towards connection and communication and processing our thoughts and feelings, you know, and it doesn't have to be all touchy feely. Again, I'm not here for any of that, but the reality is this is how we were create created and we have to like, we got to partner with that or this is just going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So as we've already, you know, mentioned in previous episodes, we love how the whole brainchild gives very practical exercises. And as it relates to this idea of memory, Dan Siegel specifically talks about how important it is to replay memories and tell stories. Um, He also talks about uh, how memory is like a lot of the other functions of the brain. The more we exercise it, the stronger it becomes. So we need to give ourselves lots of practice at remembering by telling and retelling our own stories. And so in doing that, it actually improves our ability to integrate those implicit and explicit memories. And so um, that's really kind of where he goes with it in his book. But it, I had to just think, man, you know, as you've already mentioned, partnering with the Lord in this process, I mean, Healing Life's Hurts from, from our Keys to Freedom study is all about processing our hurts with God. And, and in light of this conversation, it's basically taking something that may be, may be implicit and making it explicit. So we're actually um, inviting God into that process and asking him to show us, like, how did this memory affect us um, then and now? Like, how is it affecting me today? And really, uh, really partnering with the Lord and inviting the Holy Spirit into that process of really retelling those stories. And so, you know, that's just an important part of that specific key for us in Keys to Freedom. It's not just about being like, Lord, this happened to me, didn't feel great. So if you could just heal it and now we're going to move on. No, like we need to actually talk through that memory with the Lord. And I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) I, I, I just love it when I see uh, you know, over here where people are, are talking about neuroscience and then these practical biblical principles when they just partner up and you're like, oh, this is why the Lord invites us to do this with him. And so I know even for me how this has worked itself out. I, you know, I, I learned some of these things years ago and uh, uh, some of you who've you know followed us for a while may already know this, but a few years ago we lost my dad to COVID, and it you know when I really looked back on it, I was like there were so many like kind of just traumatizing events through that whole process. Like when I really, I mean, it, when you're in the middle of it, you are surviving. But when I looked back on it, I was like, ooh. I'm going to need to process this story because this thing could easily take root in me and could come out sideways like now or in 10 years from now. And so I knew these 
practices were important and I knew how important healing life hurts with the Lord. You know, I knew all of that. So I was so intentional in the wake of all that happened with my dad, really processing it with the Lord, like down to the detail. I remember this in the hospital. I remember this, getting this phone call. I remember when my mom did that, you know, like really talking through and processing those memories with the Lord so that it didn't have the ability to take root. And so you've said, you know, it's, it, it is important in community and to talk through those things and to care for one another well. Um, and, and also for us to know that God is inviting us ultimately into that communication with him and that relationship with him. And I just, I think everything that you shared, it's like, yes, this is how he made us. And it should point us to connection and community and relationship because that is where the healing is found. Um, so I just love that you brought that up and I would love to know before we sign off today, we've covered a lot, but is there anything else that you would share any, just other practical applications or just any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, just really quickly. I think that if you find yourself reacting or responding in ways that you cannot explain or justify, it is probably time to ask (laughs) what's going on here. You know, is this reminding me of something? Where are my feelings and behavior coming from? Or maybe even you're not aware and the people who love you are like, hey, that felt weird. You know, you good. And and I think what I would say is more than anything big picture, it is so okay to respond weirdly to things and be able yeah. to go. I don't know that I like this, you know, I think just hopefully dismantling any fear or stigma or whatever it is around looking at ourselves. If I could just encourage people with that more than anything, you know, if you find something, go, go find you a really great counselor, talk to people you trust, talk to the, you know, the mentors in your life. Hopefully you have those allow people to pray for you and with you and just start that journey and know that it's one of those things that when you do it afterwards, you're like, I wish I would have done this earlier, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would even just add to that. Like sometimes it's not even, you know, like behaviorally things that you're seeing, like, oh, I overreacted in that circumstance. Sometimes it's even like an internal, like uh, something happens inside of me when, you know, like, I mean, I've said this to my husband before. I'm like, man, I'm telling you what, when I get the sense that I am getting like rejected by someone like relationally, there's something that un- like unlocks eighth grade Melanie. And, and and you may not be able to see it. Maybe you can. I don't know. But like internally, something is just churning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, that feels like an overreaction to the fact that she said she couldn't do lunch with me tomorrow. Just being very curious about that because we, you know, we always talk about freedom is not just about you behaving right, but being a hot mess on the inside, right? Like, like invite the Lord into even those areas where you're like, this just doesn't feel like an area of freedom internally for me. Right. <laughs> um, yes. And so just being curious. And I'm telling you, Anytime you ask the Lord to put his finger on what's going on and what's the root of this and where did this come from and what happened, like he is pretty great at showing you what it is at the right time and in the right place, you know. So yes, he is. it's just such a gift. It's a gift that he's given and to us. And when he so. does it, it's so much nicer mm. than when we burn things to the ground and go, why did that happen? So you know, so just let him do it. I say from experience, so. Yes, same. I second that fully. <laughs> Friends, this is such an uh, it, it's an intense topic and it's just a very complex one. But we really hope that this has just 
you know, given you some kind of basic insights uh, into this topic and that it's been helpful for you. And we hope that you will join us for next week's episode where we're going to be talking uh, just a little bit more. um, And it's going to be the final episode of this series just about uh, the brain and specifically kind of unpacking some of just even what's happening behind this, the whole idea of renewing the mind. And so I hope that you will join us for that. And as always, if the content in these podcasts has been helpful for you, we would be so grateful if you would help us out by rating the show and writing a review wherever you listen. And if you have any thoughts or questions about anything that we've discussed, go listen to the podcast, read the book. I don't know if we'll have all the answers, but send send them on our way. I'll definitely pass them on to Brooke. Or uh, if you would like to share any just thoughts, uh, ideas for future podcast topics, we love hearing from you guys. So please let us know by emailing us at mercytalk at mercymultiplied.com. And to find out more about Mercy, head over to mercymultiplied.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. 